Well, hello and welcome everybody to Connect Church Online. It is such a wonderful privilege to be with you. And I pray that today as we spend some time together in the word of the Lord, you'll be deeply encouraged and your faith would be enriched. If you're new with us, we started a series last week called What Child Is This? We're asking the question, what child is this? Speaking about Jesus in the manger, the child we celebrate on Christmas Day, whose birth was so significant and so meaningful. And we're looking at the different stages of Jesus' life, but chronologically backwards. And so Jolene kicked us off last week and she asked the question, what child is this? And we looked at the book of Revelation where Jesus is revealed as the risen king. The glorified Jesus is who John sees on the island of Patmos when he gets the revelation from Jesus and pens it. And we have now the book of Revelation as a result of that. So we looked at Jesus, these glorified states and who he is, was and always will be. And we asked the question, what child is this? And the answer was, well, he's the risen king. Today we're asking, what child is this? And we're going to see that he is our model and he was human. Essentially, we're putting two messages together. We were supposed to do this series over four weeks, but we've had to condense it into three. And so there's two messages in one in a sense today. And next week, the last week, we ask the question on Christmas Day, what child is this? And we look at the baby in the manger and we will learn that this baby was the culmination, is the culmination and the materializing of all of God's promises to his people. And that in him, every promise of God is yes and amen. So trust that you'll be blessed as we journey together. So today's scriptures, some of them, we are looking at the book of Luke, chapter 3 and chapter 4. And the first point is that we learn this, that Jesus is our model. We're looking at the life of Jesus now. We've moved on from the resurrected, glorified Jesus from last week to Jesus here who is about 30 years old. He's a man and we see that he is our model. So what child is this? This is Jesus. Our perfect model. Let's read together. In verse 21 of Luke chapter 3. It says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Moving on to chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Now the first thing we realize, the first thing we see when we read these scriptures is that Jesus comes to his cousin, John the Baptist, To be baptized. And this raises a bunch of interesting questions because John, it says, according to the scriptures, was preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. So why on earth would Jesus need to come and be baptized by him? Because we know Jesus never needed to repent. Jesus was born sinless. He was perfect. There was no repentance for sins needed. So what is going on? Well, the reality is, Jesus comes to John to be baptized as an example for us and as a model to us, as a way of showing us the significance of what John was preaching. So Jesus comes to his cousin to be baptized to validate his message. The message of John was that you need to repent. You need to be forgiven. You need to receive the grace and the goodness of God in order to inherit eternal life. 
And so Jesus comes to be baptized to point to the fact that John's message was a good kingdom message. He doesn't come to stand in the way of the message of, of, of John. He comes to affirm it. He comes to validate it. And so Jesus comes to be baptized, it says in the scriptures, to fulfill all righteousness. Not because Jesus needed to be forgiven, but because Jesus was pointing to the fact that this is the way you come to the Father. Through repentance, through forgiveness. And if he did it, we certainly need to. So Jesus opens that door and he validates the ministry of John and doesn't shut it down. Jesus also comes and he, and he gets baptized as a way of highlighting for us just how important baptism is. So many Christians feel that baptism isn't that important and we come up with so many different reasons and excuses to not be baptized. If baptism wasn't important, then why on earth is Jesus being baptized? Why is he finding it necessary? Why does he consider it necessary to be baptized? If baptism is completely irrelevant, if there's no function of baptism or for baptism in the Christian life, why is John preaching baptism and why is Jesus affirming it? In Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to be very careful here because many people might interpret this as me saying that you have to be baptized to be saved and that somehow it's a works-based salvation. I want to be very clear. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But baptism is a significant part of the outworking of our faith. And because of what Christ has done to us and for us, we want to be obedient to him. Jesus sees significance in being baptized. And so he models this for us. This baby who was born that we celebrate on Christmas Day was our perfect model. And if he was baptized, we need to be too. You see, symbolically what baptism does is it represents our death with Christ. As we go down into the water, so it symbolizes our death with Christ to our old self. And as we are raised up out of the water, it represents a being born again into this new life that Jesus has bought for us. And the old has been washed away and gone and the new has come. It's a public declaration outwardly of what Jesus has done for you inwardly. And it's so significant because often baptism is the very first, first step of obedience that a new believer will take. And so Jesus is our model when it comes to baptism, but he's also our model when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says in our text. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, how on earth is this a model for us? Well, Jesus receiving the Spirit after his baptism was a precursor to all who would receive the Spirit later on at Pentecost. And it's a precursor for every single one of us, for you and for me who receives the Holy Spirit when or who received the Holy Spirit when we came to know Jesus. The life of Jesus lived here on earth, I want to say to you, was a life filled with the Holy Spirit and a life led and impacted by the voice of the Spirit in his life. And so too, it should be for every single believer. 
The believer's life is a life filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. He's a seal given as a promise at the point in the moment of salvation, confirming your salvation and securing it for you. It's a guarantee. It's a stamp. It's a seal of your salvation, the work of God in your life. Ephesians 1 verse 13 confirms this. It says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The believer's life is one that bears evidence of the Holy Spirit within us as we overflow and display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And as he works within us, it's obvious for those around us to see as he transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. Galatians 5, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And so when Jesus is walking this earth and he gets baptized and he's full of the Holy Spirit, he is a model for us. We can look at him and go, that's what my life needs to look like. I need to repent. I need to be forgiven. And I need to receive the Holy Spirit. And I'll know that I've received him when this fruit is at work or on display in my life. The believer's life is also marked by obedience to the Spirit, as was Jesus' life here when he walked this earth. Obedience to the leading of the Spirit. In our text, we see it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness after his baptism. I want to suggest to you that it wasn't just this one time where Jesus heard the voice of the Spirit and was led by the Spirit and submitted to him. I want to say to you and I want to suggest to you that the entire life of Jesus as he lived it here on earth was led by the Spirit and was obedient to the Spirit. I believe that Jesus lived the life that was submitted to the Father's will and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus really was and is for us a perfect model on how to live a Spirit-filled life. Jesus listened to the Spirit. He received the Spirit and listened to the leading of the Spirit and so fulfilled the Father's will. And I'm convinced that when Jesus walked this earth, there were many voices clamoring for his attention, vying for his attention, trying to, I'm sure, knock him off, off target and strip him up and in some way um, distract him from the work that God had called him to do. But the voice that I believe Jesus allowed to dominate his heart and mind was the voice of the Spirit. And so it should be for us as well. The voice of the Spirit in our lives should be the one voice that trumps all other voices. It should be the one voice that we listen to over and above and more often than any other voice. His voice should not be just one voice amongst many, but the voice that defines our lives. Church, I want to say to you that when you follow the Holy Spirit and when you listen to the leading, when you listen to the voice of the Spirit, wonderful things begin to happen. Romans 8.14 says this, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. When you are listening to the voice of the Spirit, when you know what the Spirit sounds like, and you hear Him talking to you, whether it be through the Word, audibly, through dreams, through visions, through a sense in your heart, you know how God speaks to you. When you hear Him and you're obedient, it is evidence that you are sons and daughters of the living God. 
Galatians 5.18, but you are led by the Spirit. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Being led by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit, listening to His voice, means that you're free to live as God has called you to live in the abundance of grace that He has provided for you. Obedience to Jesus is not restriction. Obedience to Jesus is freedom. It's not without limitation, but it is freedom. Obedience to the ways of this world and to the sinful nature, that is restriction and condemnation and death. Acts 8.29 says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Just an example here of someone who is not Jesus being led by the Spirit. And if you know the story of Philip, he gets the opportunity to be involved with the salvation of probably the first missionary to go up into North Africa. This is an Ethiopian eunuch who's reading the scroll of Isaiah. Philip is waiting where the Spirit told him to be waiting. Philip pounces on the opportunity to explain to this Ethiopian eunuch what he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And when Philip speaks to him, his heart is stirred and this man gives his life to Jesus and he's baptized right there on the side of the road. And the message of the gospel goes up with this Ethiopian eunuch. And Jesus is glorified. When you listen to the Spirit, you're sons and daughters of God. You're free. And you also get to be involved in some amazing kingdom opportunities. But Jesus was not just our model when it comes to baptism and life being life in the Spirit. He, he was our model when it comes to being tested and resisting the enemy. Our text says this. For 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. When the devil had finished all his tempting... He left him until a more opportune time. Now, I don't really have enough time to delve into all of this a bit deeper. But I want to say that it is obvious from a cursory reading of this passage that Jesus was spiritually strong because he was spiritually disciplined. And he models for us a life lived in the spiritual disciplines. Jesus was a man who was fasting. It says he fasted here for 40 days. He was a man who sought solitude often. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who studied the word. These are all disciplines that Jesus employed. And we see him using them as he resists the enemy, as he's led into the desert by the Spirit. His flesh at this point probably would have been weak. The scriptures, in fact, say, and he was hungry. It's like one of the most understated understatements of the century or ever Right? Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. He was more than just hungry. His body was probably breaking and broken and he was weak and probably very fatigued. But his spirit was the exact opposite. His spirit was strong and it was powerful because Jesus modeled what it was to be a man of spiritual discipline. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think all too often we spend so much of our time building ourselves up physically and there's nothing wrong. Please don't get me wrong here. There's nothing wrong with being physically fit and healthy, eating a bit better, exercising a bit more, getting to sleep on time. But so often we can put so much focus on that. And we lose sight of the fact that there is a spiritual man or a spiritual woman that is really who you are, that needs to be strengthened for the life God has called you to live. And the way we train the spirit 
within us is not the way we train our flesh. The way we train our spiritual beings is not the way we train our flesh. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Church, what child is this? Jesus is our model. He has modeled so much good stuff for us that we need to be following intently. He models perfect for us what it means to be saved, what it means to come to God in faith, to be restored to relationship with him. He models baptism for us. He models a spirit-filled life. He models resisting the enemy. He models spiritual disciplines and strengthening the spirit within us. And lastly, as our model, he models what it means to be filled with power for ministry and to rely on God's power in order to do what God has called us to do. Listen to what it says in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But then in verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. If you haven't read this that often, or if you're not careful, you will miss the difference. Right in the beginning, it says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the desert. So Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. But after his trials, after his temptations, after he's lasted and resisted the enemy through spiritual disciplines in the desert, it says he leaves the desert in the power of the Spirit and returns to Galilee. There is a difference. It's only after he exits the desert in the power of the Spirit that Jesus begins his earthly ministry his three something years of earthly ministry and without the power of the spirit church i want to say to you none of what jesus did was 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 possible and none of the things that god has called you to do will be possible without the power of the Spirit. jesus has called you to live a life god has called you to live a life that's beyond yourself and you're going to need the empowering of the spirit for this And Jesus models this for us perfectly. Listen to Luke chapter 8, 46 to 48. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. You see, the Holy Spirit has not left Jesus. The person of the Holy Spirit has not left him. But Holy Spirit power has left him. Verse 47 in Luke chapter 8 says, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him. And now how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. See, church, there is a difference, like I said just now, between the person of the Holy Spirit and power from the Holy Spirit. Every single believer has the person of the Holy Spirit given to them as was modeled for us by Jesus when he was baptized and he came up out of the water. When we come to salvation, when we come to a place where we repent and we acknowledge our sin and we ask God for forgiveness and we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given to us. But that's Holy Spirit person. We need to be filled with power. 
Jesus would often withdraw off the ministry to a place where he was alone with the Father to be filled again with power. And he would go back for more ministry and the power would leave him and he would go back to the Father for more power and he would go back and minister more and more power would leave him and it would just go on and on and on. And Jesus knew where his source of power was going to come from. It was from being at the feet of the Father, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, asking God, for more and trusting that the Lord would give him the power he needed. And so too it needs to be with us. So many Christians are like taps with water filled up within them, have so much potential for water to be pouring out, but the tap just never gets switched on. And that's the difference between being filled with the Spirit and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And God has designed it so that we need to come back to him all the time and keep being filled and keep being filled with the power of the Spirit so we can go out and do what he has called us to do. Having said this, though, I think there are a lot of Christians who struggle with the idea of Jesus being a model for us. I've struggled with it for a while as well. We feel as though it's unfair and that somehow Jesus cheated in this life because he was God. In other words, we believe that the life Jesus lived cannot be a model for us because of his godness. It's not a fair comparison. And therefore, all aspirations to live as Jesus did are virtuous for sure, but are absolutely quite impossible to achieve. There was one difference between yourself, myself and Jesus, and that is that he was born perfectly. He was born in perfection and remained perfect. He was sinless, spotless, stainless. For us, we're born in sin. And so there is that difference. But God came in human form. Jesus was fully human and he lived a fully human life with all our weaknesses, with all our limitations and with all the humanity of flesh. It is so important that we understand this. Philippians 2, 5 to 7 says this, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus was God, is God, will always be God. But when he walked this earth, he let go of his godness in the sense he, he did not grasp onto that in order to live this life the way the Father intended him to. He submitted himself to humanity, to his flesh, and he lived this life the way we live this life with the struggles we have. He lived this life relying on the Father like we are meant to, relying on the Spirit like we are meant to. And learning and growing like we do. And it's so important for us to understand that. And it's so significant for us to see that. And you'll see why just now. So this child, what child is this? Well, he's the resurrected, glorified Jesus. He is our model and he is human. And that's what we're going to launch into now. And that will be the last half of this message. As we ask the question, like I said, what child is this? We find out that he is also human. And Luke chapter 2 verse 40 is a welcome window into the humanity of Christ. There's so many other places we could go, but this one is great because chronologically we're moving backwards. We've gone from the glorified resurrected Jesus to Jesus the man who was about 30 years old to Jesus the boy. And it says this about him in Luke chapter 2. 
and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. This passage really stresses or this scripture stresses the humanity of Jesus. Luke mentions the fact that Jesus grew like any other child in an ordinary way. We see that he became strong like any other child. He had to grow in body and in mind, in stature and in wisdom like any other child. And Luke is the one who, prevent, who presents the development of Jesus as a normal child, not in, not in some weird uh, supernatural spiritual way. He doesn't present Jesus like that. He grew up and Luke mentions different words referring to the different stages of Jesus' development. He refers to Jesus as a baby in Luke chapter 2, as a child in Luke chapter 2 verse 40, and a boy in Luke chapter 2 verse 43. Jesus needed to learn like any other child learnt. He wasn't born with a brain that already had all the information that it needed. He experienced the same things we do. He was thirsty. He was hungry. He needed water. He needed food. He got tired. We read about that in John chapter 4. Being made in the image and the likeness of his father the same way we are, he experienced the same spectrum of emotions that we do. From anger to love to sorrow to joy to compassion. He needed the Father to strengthen him, and he was even overwhelmed with grief and fear. And we read about that in Mark chapter 14. However, like I said, the one difference between Jesus and and you and myself is that Jesus was perfect. He represented God perfectly in each of those emotions and in every situation without any sinful distortion. But the Bible clearly teaches that despite Christ's perfection, He was perfectly and totally human. True God, true man. But this is why this is so important. It was so important for Christ to take on human nature, one to fulfill all righteousness. If this child that came to us on Christmas Day was not fully human, there is no ways that the righteous requirements of God would be fulfilled. Jesus had to be human in order to be tempted in every way that we are. To resist and to overcome temptation and the enemy and to obey the Father in all areas where Adam fell and where we fall. Romans 5.19 says, By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. If Jesus was not human, he would not be able to satisfy this requirement of the Father for us. The second reason Jesus had to be human is to be our substitute. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6:23. So the only way that you and I can be forgiven for our sins is if Jesus dies in our place, but God cannot die. This is why Jesus needed to take on human nature. He had to be human to die in our place, to die in the place of sinners. And scripture says Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. That's 1 Peter 3 verse 18. But Jesus also needs to be human to represent us before God. Jesus must be human to be our mediator. God's word speaks very clearly about Christ being our mediator and his humanity makes us perfect, makes us possible. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 it says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, 
the man, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus can intercede for us and mediate for us because he knows what it is to be human. He is God who was fully human. And so he knows every single experience that we have. And he's able to accurately and perfectly represent us before the Father. If Jesus was not human, he would not have been able to do that for us. The fourth reason, and there's just two more after this, is so that he's able to sympathize and empathize with our weaknesses. Many Christians think that Jesus didn't have any weaknesses. And as a result, they think that they can't relate or he can't relate to us. It's true that Jesus did not have a sinful nature, but Jesus had all the weaknesses and struggles that you and I have, church. He felt the struggles of human emotions, of human exhaustion and intellectual limitations. He felt the power of temptation, but he did not sin. As a result, Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weakness. This is why we can go to Jesus with our weaknesses. This is why if you are not saved and you're worried whether Jesus will accept you and understand what you're going through and what you've done and what you feel guilty for and what you condemned, what you carry as condemnation in your life, He knows and He understands and you can approach Him with confidence in repentance, knowing that He will love you and forgive you if that repentance is genuine. That's why as Christians, when we mess up and we feel weak and we make mistakes, we can know that yes, sin grieves God, but Jesus is not a high priest who doesn't understand and is somehow standoffish and unapproachable. Jesus, because of His humanity, this child who became a man, our model was also perfectly human. And because of that, doesn't just sympathize and feel sorry for us, but can empathize. He knows what it is like. He knows. And so you can approach him. Fifthly, Jesus needed to be human to be our example of obedience. And this is really one that's tied into the first point we mentioned where he's our model. Sometimes Christians think that because Jesus was God, he cheated and somehow was able to be obedient that way. I've heard Christians say, of course Jesus was obedient to the Father. He is God. But Jesus, it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, which won't come up on the screen, had to learn obedience. He had to trust the word of God. He had to be led by the Spirit. He had to obey the leading of the Spirit. And Jesus is a true example to us, like we said in our first point, of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, obedient to the Spirit, and empowered by the Spirit. If he wasn't human, that wouldn't be possible. And lastly, Jesus had to be human to be approachable. The Lord Jesus is the only way we can approach God. Timothy chapter 6 verse 16 says, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 16 says, God dwells in unapproachable light. But we can approach Jesus. He prays for our sins and intercedes for us. He forgives us our sins. He mediates for us between the Father and ourselves. He fulfills all righteousness. This is why we can approach him. Because he was fully human. The New Testament shows that even children were drawn to Jesus and were attracted to Jesus and came to him freely. 
And when people try to stop them, Jesus said, don't stop them. Let them come. He's not some stern, stubborn, authoritarian figure that's there with malicious intent to just beat you down and lord it over you. You and I can come to Jesus because of his humanity. We can come to him for the forgiveness of our sins, knowing that he will love us. Knowing that he will give us his righteousness and eternal life. Jesus calls you and myself and he says this to us. And he says this to you if you don't know Jesus and you're just celebrating Christmas because it's what you've done your whole life. I want to submit to you that this child is the resurrected glorified king. He is our model for life and he is human. So you can approach him. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So who is this child? What child is this that we celebrate on Christmas? He is the second person of the Godhead. Was, is and always will be God. He is God our savior. God our model. God who was human. He's God Emmanuel, God with us. The one who's come down to seek and to save sinners. The one who's coming to seek and to save you if you would let him. And the one who has done that for you and is challenging you to walk in the ways that he has modeled for you to walk. Church, bless you. May you have a fantastic, fantastic Christmas season. And may Jesus be at the center of all that you do. We'll see you next week. Bye.